0: I, I see it yeah. that for the parents as well. Like it's like almost like <laughs> they just assume if it's connected to Lego, it must be safe, which is not a safe assumption to make, <laughs> but you know.
1: <laughs> right. Hello and welcome to This Should Work podcast session number five, a conversation with Rachel Hellinga, member of Pumping Station One Workshop 88 and more importantly, owner of the company Conductee and exhibit curator and developer for Museum of Science and Industry in the past and and many other places. Episode with Rachel. If you'd like to hear more of our future episodes and check out some of our past ones, go to the website shouldworkmedia.com. That's shouldworkmedia.com. Or subscribe and or subscribe to the podcast on any major podcasting subscription network place thing like itunes overcast tune in soundcloud and so on and so on and so on thanks again for joining us and i hope you enjoy this show okay, so. This is- this should work. Session five. We're here with Rachel Helenga. Did I say that right? You got it. Rachel Helenga. Well, okay, wait. Uh-huh.
0: It's actually Rachel Helenga. Helenga. I <laughs> <laughs> you want to start
1: <laughs> that over. It's fine. That's fine. We can edit. Uh, president of con- Conductee.
0: Mm-hmm. Um,
1: you've also done a lot of work in the museum exhibit space. Member of Workshop 88. The third... The third member of Workshop workshop yeah. that we've interviewed for, for the podcast, so that's pretty uh, cool. Also a member of Pumping
0: Station One. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. So your
1: uh, your Makerspace passport is pretty
0: Yes, pretty I'm a full. card-carrying maker.
1: <laughs> um, so thanks for joining us today. Did I get that all right? Absolutely is there anything else right. you want to fit in there? Um,
0: oh, in terms of what other sort yeah. of work you do? Well, I've also run a lot of workshops. Mm-hmm. Um, I got a couple of grants to teach summer camps and workshops for kids um, both you know, like from like age 6 to 12 mm-hmm. a bunch of them were technista workshops with a special focus on girls and getting them into electronics. So.
1: Super cool. So mm-hmm. one of the ways that we like to start this off by we I mean I mm-hmm. um, one of the ways I like to start this off is by asking people um, you know what what you're working on right now what are some projects that you you know some personal projects, some itches that you're scratching, um, that, that you're, you're currently working on?
0: Well, let's see. Um, we are pro- fast approaching Halloween, mm-hmm. and uh, I am on a block in Elmhurst that is already quite famous for its Halloween antics, and okay. we get people driving in from other parts of town. Um, so I've got some tough competition, a full graveyard on one side and a complete scary maze bounce house on the other. So I'm working on, you know, what what's my shtick going to be this year? <laughs> and I've already got the neighborhood kids asking, when are we going to start? When are we going to start? Oh, wow. <laughs> so I roped in a couple kids last year. We took an old playhouse, one of these kind of plastic things, only about five feet tall, right? Totally covered in duct tape, then, you mm-hmm. know, rigged it up with LEDs. Mm-hmm. I've done, you know, like a big Minecraft scene with sort of Minecraft type, um, uh, some kind of plastic uh material that looks like stone you know lit yeah. up with leds so so i'm kind of in the brainstorming stage <laughs> right now for this year we've already got a smoke machine we're working yeah. on a couple of arrows that are going to be pointing into the doors and
1: so and when you say you, you the neighborhood kids are already asking do you get them do you get them involved oh in absolutely projects? right right yeah. so
0: a couple of them, uh, Maya and Caleb, were sort of my, my key henchmen last mm-hmm. year. Okay. Um, and so I literally, I you know, I'll have sessions before Halloween, and they came over and decked out this house, and they worked out this elaborate shutter punch procedure, which involved mm-hmm. keeping the shutters closed right up until someone came, and then punching <laughs> and through and <laughs> leaping out with the skeleton okay. costume.
1: So, yeah. How, how old are they?
0: Uh, around like eight and nine
1: eight and nine okay so is this something are you teaching them while you're doing this or is this
0: uh yeah yeah so um there i've got quite a few beta testers in my neighborhood Um, i'm I'm developing you know what's the best method for teaching circuits and for doing these kind of informal learning projects um where it's you know project-based learning and uh So I've had them over and we, or I've gone over to their place and brought, um, you know, a Lego setup with this tape I've cut specially to fit over Lego and LEDs that, uh, you know, they're not for sale. They're still kind of in a prototype stage and, and literally seeing, can they figure out what to do
1: here or not? Interesting. So they're kind of like exploring design process and the tinkering process. Um, in a, in a setting like <laughs> at their house, right? It's not like you're going to a classroom or anything like that. And this is where the learning happens, and it doesn't happen, you know, when you're at home. They're they're you're teaming up with them, and they're exploring these things. Yeah, you, in their you own you community. see
0: something you see something different happen there. So, um, wh- you know, for example, one time I was at Caleb's house, and he wanted to light up the inside of a tent, like a little playhouse tent that he had in his house, and you know, if we had been doing the whole thing remotely at a library, I don't know if that would have been the thing that he came up with. But I try to create sort of this. It's almost like I'm just creating a situation hmm. where a, a, a specific idea will come from them about what they what they want to make. And once you get that going, once it's their idea to make the thing, um, they're highly interested in figuring out how to do it.
1: How how important do you think environment is? and by environment I mean, I mean like the setting that learning i guess is taking place it how important do you think that is to um, i don't want to say learning but maybe even just teaching people like these new ideas what Is that a significant component? Because you you mentioned, you know, Um, it's different than when they're at school. You know. Well, you're talking to a museum exhibit designer. Yeah. Okay. Sure.
0: I believe environment is everything. Yeah. Right. (laughs) Um, When I when I do run a workshop, it's immersive, right? I mean, I'll I'll get you know this Minecraft material. It's like it's just a backdrop for taking photos or whatever. It's it's this plastic vinyl stuff that you can buy for thirty dollars a roll, right? But I will bring that into the workshop and tape it to the wall. And I mean, I, I try to recreate that immersive experience that you have in a museum, no matter where, hmm. no matter where I'm, I'm teaching, because I've seen how powerful it is. It's so powerful when, when it's not just a small object in front of you. Either you've taken the whole thing and you've made it gigantic. So hmm. I'll, I'll, I'll have a whole map, you know, like from Harbor Freight, just a huge um, tarp, right? Green tarp put some black cloth tape to, you know, clean up the edges, aluminum tape 2 inches wide to lay out a circuit. And now the kids are like they'll wear the LED and they're going to step on either side of a gap. Mm-hmm. And 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 tape is going to come up their body and now the LED is on their stomach, right. you know, because I've seen over and over, you know, if you can make the make this thing you're talking about large, either because it's surrounding you or it's just a large object, I really think it takes on more import, more importance in the child's mind and it becomes Mm. more memorable.
1: That's interesting. So we're creating um, this industrial design degree uh, here and one of the the core objectives that we have is that um, students shouldn't just be able to make something, but they should be able to make it at scale. And at scale could mean really big. It could also mean many of them. But we're placing an importance in that. And part of the reason we know is because we, it's really useful to have a person who has a degree and can also make many of a thing and not just a bunch of prototypes. But I think part of it is kind of like what you're, you're scratching at here too, where it's it's more significant to the the learner when, when the thing is is. It's not just ephemeral, it's not some little thing that might go away. It's got some, some scope and scale well. Well,
0: right. I mean, uh, you know, an example from one of my biggest projects at the, was at the Museum of Science and Industry Science Storms. Um, we built a three story tornado inside the building. And we worked with an artist, Ned Kahn, who was, uh, he got a MacArthur Genius grant. He mm-hmm. had done tornadoes elsewhere, but they were, you know, they were never that much taller than a person. And, but that, I mean, that makes it memorable. That makes it something you literally gonna remember
1: 20 years later, if you yeah. made it that large. So why, why is it that, what is it about big things? What is it about environments that, that resonates?
0: Well, I do think those are two things. One is I yeah. think if something's large, you, you automatically assume a lot of resources have been Ooh. allocated to it. So it must be important. It must sure. have taken resources away from something else. Right. Uh, another thing, actually, is I saw a study quite a while ago that um, the the less power you have, so say if you are a child, the more, um, the larger the, I think in this case it was almost like it was like a size of a Starbucks cup you took or something. So the more they had managed to make people feel powerless in the study and then they would Offer them a drink on the way out. <laughs> the larger the cup, they would take. Ah. So I don't know. It's almost like it's like you're, you're It's giving you power, like like by associating yourself with this thing. I'm, that would be better if I could tell you the study. I'd, no, we could, but no, we I can mean, come up it, with it later. But, um, and I've also you know, ad, adults often have this obsession with making things small. So I was trying to make the stem of a duct, a light up duct tape rose. You know, as thin and lovely and flower like as possible. And I ran a workshop. One of these like steam fair things at the Glen Ellen Public Library, and these kids, they they didn't either. They would they were perfectly happy with these. Mon- what do they call those straws? The bubble tea straws, right? That are just gigantic, sort of monster straws, mm-hmm. yeah. right? So they were like eighteen inches tall, <laughs> yeah. and then the flower petals were gigantic, and they were walking around with these things like practically the size of umbrellas, and nothing could have made them happier. Yeah. So it's. You know, there's an appeal, Uh, you know, I'm not saying I know the science. As far as the immersive thing, well, think about, you know, like, uh, you know, the the IMAX, Omnimax. I mean, there's something about having your whole field of view taken up by one thing Hmm. that it puts you in the space and you're you're engaging more of the senses. And Hmm. anytime you can do that, you are also, you're going to increase how much you remember that event.
1: Yeah, that's something that we talk about. Um... In, in game design as well is the, and I don't mean this in the typical way. It's it's taken as but the 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 sensualness of of the thing that you're creating. Right? How are you engaging the the smell, the you know the touch, the um this as well as sight and all these other things that we take for granted. So that resonates.
0: Well, that's something hmm. with, you know, with, with a museum or honestly a makerspace as well. There's a whole, there there's a sensory experience. There's a sense of authenticity that I've come to this place that has a thing, an authentic thing, that isn't the same as me just learning about it on my computer. There's, a, there's something about physical spaces that can also be
1: another trigger yeah. you know, for, for to decide something's important. So i want to talk about a couple things there, yeah. and I think that's a good jumping off point into, into them too, um, because one thing that you know, we both have in common is, is maker spaces. And those are environments that certainly encourage different kinds of thinking. Uh, you mentioned your museum work. So that would be very interesting to talk about. And then we have, and people can't see it, we have all this cool stuff with Legos and conductive things in front of us. Um, and I'd love to talk about that too. Can we talk, can we talk a little bit about, like what's your can you t- your experience with makerspaces and how you think that those environments kind of inform the, the learning that happens there? Um, Maybe we can use that as a jumping off point. Uh,
0: yes, so I would say one of, the, one of the things that seems to be overlooked when people just set out to make a makers, build a new makerspace is that a huge percentage of the value of it, of the magic of it, of, of what makes it tick is, is the peer-to-peer learning that's going on there and um and and the constant nature of sort of of surprise of of the juxtaposition of two people who might be using the same tool to do very different projects and so um you know when i go to workshop 88 i mean there are people who they don't come in on a thursday night because they've got this thing they need to cut on the table saw. Sometimes they come in with no project at all saying, who's going to show up today because it's mm. open house night? Who's going to have a problem that I could help solve? <laughs> so when There's an empowering nature to a, a makerspace that I, I worry about sometimes when I see it in a library or at a school. If you take it back to there's one instructor who knows a lot and there's a bunch of kids or students here who know less and we're going to do knowledge transfer, mm. you've actually you know, subtracted what I think is the most powerful part of the
1: makerspace. Are you familiar with, um, have you read any, like, Papert? Or, oh, absolutely, I'm I heard you know. him
0: speak. I'm that oh, old. Oh, really? <laughs> <laughs> and um, actually, yeah, I was, I was working at the computer museum, my, my first real job out of college, and uh, I went over there and uh, with Natalie Rusk, she actually, um, she's at MIT, she started Scratch. Mm-hmm. She was the director of education, so um, she dragged me over to this lecture, and the the one thing I remember most is that he was bemoaning the idea of computerized education. Right, mm. so this was like like 1989, right around there. So, sc- just the way schools are now rushing to put maker spaces in, they were rushing to put computer labs in, and he said. Talking about computerized learning, if you don't talk about the, the subject matter, the content, or the, what they're going to do with the computer, you might as well talk about
1: pencilized learning. Mm-hmm. I wonder if, I wonder if you know, those... So that's, that's a, that wasn't a... I wouldn't say it's a controversial way of thinking at the time, but that had to have been contra, uh, contrarian, right, in, in many ways, in that schools are adopting these computers without thinking about it, and then here are people saying... Well, let's hold on a second. And I wonder if that way of thinking, do you think that has anything to do with, um, with, with the kind of, uh, the, the way that maker spaces also kind of organically grow as communities? And, I, and, and what I mean by that is, is that um, you don't, the people at these spaces look at the tools critically, not uncritically, and they incorporate them into the ways that they learn in a very, uh, in, a, in a manner that I've, I view as divergent from the way most people would use a tool. Does that make any sense? Uh,
0: yes, and I think there's some, I mean, just think, occurring to me now, there are some pretty amazing parallels here because what you had then is you had people thinking about teaching kids to operate a computer <clears throat> the way you would operate a typewriter or operate a washing machine, right? They mm-hmm. weren't thinking about, you know, but what are you going to write or do with the computer, right? It would be mm-hmm. as if you went to English class, and then we were like, never mind what we talk about. We're just going to master this keyboard. Right. And I've seen the same thing with maker spaces where you can see a push in a lot of schools. And I was even a reviewer on a grant that it was some government agency that was basically working on workforce job skills, right? Yeah. So you have people that just look at a laser cutter and, um, you know, the the... 3D printers, et cetera, as tools that children should be taught to operate so that the way you would just develop a job skill and then in life you're going to go and you're going to, you know, later you might get a job operating laser cutter for someone else. Right. And that is so different from what you see in a maker space where people are using, the laser cutter is just a mean a means to an end.
1: It's a way to express your own creativity. Right. It's the Tim Ingold has a book called Making, and I don't remember how the four A's, what sequence they go in, but it's Archaeology, Anthropology, and Architecture. And he talks about how making is a process of becoming. And so the tool is part of the process just as much as the idea that you have before you go into the effort is part of the process. It kind of sounds like that's what you're talking about, where there's this mixture of a notion of what you want to make, but then you listen to how the material wants you to use it and how the tool wants you to use it. Perhaps all the other people around you who are informed in different disciplines might collide with those ideas and also help you in that process. And so it's much more uh, of an effort to reach outside of oneself rather than be taught how to use a tool to complete a specific objective that you you have in mind before you, you engage in the process. I wonder if if that's is that kind of,
0: well yeah I think that you know we we imagine that this design process or the inventing process we always describe it as if first you identify a problem, yeah. and then you seek out a solution and 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 everything goes from there but so often there's a different kind of serendipity that happens, um, or you you might be well well already thoroughly immersed in a field of endeavor. Um, Like you sell toothbrushes and then suddenly vibrating motors that were used for cell phones, which are a two hundred dollar object, get so cheap you could put them in a five dollar (laughs) toothbrush and make a disposable vibrating toothbrush. Well, you know, you started from the opportunity, Oh, here's the motor and now it's cheap enough. You didn't start by saying, Oh, if only I could get my toothbrush to vibrate, you know. (laughs) If anything, you were like, How you know, how can I make this catchy? How can I make another catchy?
1: Sure. Product. Um, so, so what? What first got you interested in maker spaces? What was the insertion point for you?
0: Well, um, first of all, all the work that I did in planning museum exhibits, uh, we used a lot of those same tools. So we were—I mean, not personally; I wasn't personally operating them, but I would design an exhibit, and then I would go to a fabrication shop, and I would see them using not just the woodworking tools, but huge computer-controlled, the CNC machines, uh, you know, and the vinyl cutters and all that. Um, and so it, it wasn't a big step to start thinking about using them myself. Um, and I was at a conference, and I heard Dale Doherty speak. It was a Children's Museum conference. Mm. And I went right home, and, <laughs> and I searched online, and I found <laughs> Workshop 88, and I yeah. joined the Makerspace. And um, it's... What I kind of looked around and realized because I was planning, you know, exhibits as a as a consultant at that time, I realized, wait a minute, so for the price of a gym membership, <laughs> I could suddenly just have access to all of these tools directly. And so if I didn't want to negotiate, if I didn't want to be on a team with a million dollar budget mm-hmm. to I just wanted to go in and make an exhibit because I was going to display at a Brick World Lego convention. Sure uh we, you know and so it's sort of like the you know we go from a $200 cell phone to a $5 toothbrush suddenly the tools that were only accessible and centralized for making exhibits that cost hundreds of thousands of dollars i can do for you know 100 bucks or 50 yeah. bucks and go show it at a at a lego convention how that, crazy is that
1: that's interesting so that's a, that's the hook that gets you in and then once you get in you realize that it's it might not be the most significant component of a makerspace it's the community like you were talking about, and so it's 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 almost like when you go into a makerspace and you hear people say, "Do you have a laser cutter?" And you say, right. "Yes, we have a laser cutter, but also we have people who are really right."
0: <clears throat> and you know what? Because the um, at Workshop eighty eight, um, I found myself absolutely <laughs> surrounded by all these people who knew way, way, way more than I did about electrical engineering. You know, yeah. and so I really credit the maker movement for this crazy swift trajectory i went on over the matter of like three or four years from from literally sitting at a table and um trying to do a a wearable thing and i sewed one side of the led with my thread and just as you would do with a button i rolled right over to the other side and i sewed it and i didn't cut the thread between and then i didn't know why it wasn't working right And, um, you know, one of the guys there without even a smirk on his face just explained what I needed to do differently. No one made fun of me, you know. And so we went from me not even knowing how to avoid a short circuit and attaching an LED to learning enough from, I'm not self taught, I'm friend taught. I mean, almost everything I know Mm -hmm. about Eagle CAD, um, about, you know, the, the laser cutter, all those things were just like one favor at a time from these people. And that's, part of what's so powerful is not only the community, but the idea that you don't have to sit through someone else's tutorial or class. You could just start your project. And then when you get stuck, you can go show up on Thursday and someone will help you get over it. And for someone who's really impatient or just wants to do the project, I don't wanna go through some AutoCAD tutorial where I have to design a lamp according, like before I can get on with my project. I just wanna start.
1: Right. This is that's what we call that. Uh, well, and a lot of people call that. But one of the big pushes that you see in higher ed is experiential learning, and in K twelve institutions too. But it basically means hands on learning. You you begin by, by beginning rather than having an idea and mapping it all out and and then proceeding forward from there. And so I think that's an an interesting way of thinking and learning that a lot of. I wonder if you, do you, do you, it seems like a lot of educational places could take note from, and it seems a lot related to what we were just talking about, about you know, when f- computers first got integrated into these, the schools and, and so forth as well, is you know, it's not a process where you, you have to learn the thing and then use it, but you, you can learn by engaging with it and from the thing as well.
0: Um, you know, I spent a, a very um, illuminating 45 minutes in a computer <laughs> clubhouse years ago, I mean this is an example right like a technology that's still sort of scarce and expensive it's centralized in a clubhouse you have an internet cafe or you have a computer clubhouse and then over time or you have a computer lab at school and then you have the chromebooks at every desk right and so i hope that we don't see with makerspaces that everything is inside the makerspace and then suddenly it disperses because well what i can tell you is A lot of the folks who are members of Workshop 88, they have a 3D printer at home. They have these things at home. They are coming there on Thursday night, either to talk to each other or to get that satisfaction of helping someone else who's stuck. And I have a feeling that that community thing is going to endure, no matter how inexpensive these machines get. But at the computer clubhouse, these two boys spent (laughs) seriously probably 30 minutes figuring out how to change the mouse so that when you move the mouse, forward on your desk Mm -hmm. the cursor went down instead of up and Mm. when you pulled it back you know everything was backwards right right? and I've seen I mean I hate to promote any stereotypes but I remember at that same time reading a study about how boys were more likely to take a playful attitude toward the computer and just screw around with it Mm sort of the tinkering and girls were more likely to go in and just use it to get the thing done that needed to be done Mm. and then get off the machine and that tinkering is more likely to pull you in step by step to learning stuff before you need it, which is yeah. sort of then easier when you're ready to do a project than if you wait till you're stuck.
1: Did it explain why that was, or is it just kind of a this is this is the way things? No,
0: are. and you know what? I just want to clarify. I mean, if that was from what the.
1: <laughs> late eighties, yeah. yeah. <laughs> that study
0: was like the late eighties or early nineties, yeah. you know. Mm. And, and so, whether it's a girl-boy thing, and whether and whether there might be a parallel in other
1: the point things. is that the, play. the point is that that right uh,
0: not always being under pressure to right. achieve a goal with the tool, yeah. and to just be like, what else can this tool do? Sometimes that lays the groundwork for the next idea, productive idea you might have.
1: <laughs> so, so how do you incorporate that into the, the museum exhibit work that you did? How do you incorporate that sense of, or encourage really that sense of playfulness? I find that, that seems to be related, right, in a lot of ways. When you, um, when you are a member of a, a makerspace, um, or especially if you're running a makerspace, you know, one of the th- questions you wanna ask yourself is, how do I make this the best environment possible for people to play? And I imagine that's very similar when you're building exhibits, is um, encouraging that sense of like, you can touch this thing or you can play with this thing and you can learn by experiencing Mm -hmm. that.
0: Yeah, there's this whole magic to um, kind of offering just enough structure and, and not too much, right? So one exhibit I'm particularly proud of that's still up and running over the Chicago Children's Museum has all of these it's basically these these sticks of wood. I think we call them struts with holes drilled every other inch, and then um, uh, pieces of canvas that are grommeted and uh, some triangular pieces that help you actually structure. And so you can build a whole little shanty town or oh. skyscrapers. Okay. And. Um, and and then we had a second set of materials that were similar. They were made out of plastic with nuts and bolts you could handle by hand, and you were supposed to build a skyscraper. We had to make it small so you could actually have multiple stories, you know, within the height of a child. Um, and um, and with 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 that one, you have a time lapse camera snapping pics as you build, and then afterwards it prompts you with some questions so to get a little bit of reflection. You know, yeah. Where did you you know Where did you work as a team? What problems did you have to solve? Because Sometimes it's that talking about it actually yeah. is where you're kind of cementing the learning or we're calling attention to what. We didn't necessarily right. need you to learn facts about skyscrapers. We wanted you to walk away thinking about, I made something. Right. I solved problems while I did it.
1: Yeah, it's, yeah, it, 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 you know, that's interesting because we talk a lot about how. Um, uh, making is thinking and thinking is making, but it's not just that, all right? It's the, it's the reflection point like, like, or the mm-hmm. reflection part, like you well, said, too. And
0: another part I'll tell you is that we discovered that it was extremely important to leave structures up a few overnight and to you know, make it as easy as possible for people to look around and observe what other people were doing because they were doing the same thing that happens in a makerspace. If they weren't quite sure how to use a nut driver, mm-hmm or how to make something more stable. They might just walk around and watch other groups working. And so there was this transference of knowledge that was peer to peer, which I, I, I mean, nothing is closer to my heart. I mean, I want to make it possible, easier for kids to share anything they've done yeah. in a way that other kids can learn from it and replicate it. And right now we have too much of this sort of, you know, up to the instructor and back down.
1: Interesting. I was just going to ask you if you see the way, the, the way that your exhibits and your work, uh, which we're going to talk about in a second, it, it encourages learning that other more formal institutions do not. And if there's something that, um, you know, it's almost like when you're talking about PAPR, it's, if there's something that needs to be imparted on, onto these educational institutions as they begin to incorporate um, that more playful style of thinking, whether it's through makerspaces or anything else.
0: Um, yeah, a big piece of it, I think, is to, for them to explore alternative ways of measuring measuring learning and also even what what aspect of learning they're going to measure, right. right? Because we talk about a process, right? I mean, um, there are a lot of tools in the museum, except we're not giving kids tests, right? Um, you know, but we have a lot of observational tools, and and, and so with that one, um, with the construction exhibit, Skyline, we, we had an exhibit. I had designed the first one, Like was practically out of college. I went off, did stuff at the Tech Museum in California. I come back, I was like, you know, we could take this up a notch and make it engineering oriented. Well, it turned out 70, was well, something 67%, I think, of the boys walking in would pick up a tool and connect at least two things before they walked out of there. And it was down around like 25%, of the, maybe it was 40% of the girls, right? And we weren't really happy about those stats, right? So, but you have to at least, you have to be, we that, that's, we had to measure what we could observe. Did they pick up a tool or not? Did they connect two things or not? Mm. Not a test, not a written test later, not did they like it, right? And so being that precise in a makerspace um, about, you know, did they iterate? Did they make it and did they change it at least once before they called it done? You know, yeah. things like that. You need to, y- there is a different set of tools. And once you can name something and you can put uh, some kind of, you can quantify it, now you're going to design to it. Now all kinds of solutions will pop yeah. into your met, into your head. But as long as well-meaning people create sort of this, almost this mythology around, oh, you can't really quantify what's happening in a maker space. It's just this magic, wonderful thing where, you know, kids are more inventive. Well, then right. you, you're, you don't know what to what variables to play with to get more of this thing that you want and in that yes. case we were like we took out all this rigid pegboard and we put in canvas it didn't have to be pink but it was like fabric is something that girls are like this is like in the female domain okay we did another thing I sat there and I watched and I was like it's taking people way too long to just secure one nut hmm. did I know the pro? the answer no but I observed and then a, a fabricator on the team said we we're going to double the size of the holes, which doubles the size of the bolts, which cuts the threads in half, which cuts the time of assembly in half. Mm. And so by lowering that threshold, girls who got a sense of success earlier were less likely to say, I guess this isn't, girls aren't good at this, blah, blah,
1: blah. Right. And I imagine too, that, that led them to, you know, it's, um, so I've got three kids and one of them's learning piano right now and she, uh, she's six and it's, it's, uh, it, it's interesting to watch her learn something like that because if you start with something simple that she can get right away, and this isn't, I don't mean, not because she's a girl, just kids in general, sure. people mm-hmm. in general. Um, if it's something that she can get right away, then it's, uh, she's more likely to apply herself to the more complex problems. And so it's almost like if you can reduce that that first bit of friction, um, you know, that, that creates a... Uh, a desire to have deeper investment later on in that thing is that kind of right i'm saying
0: you should be measuring confidence i mean you can there's something called a likert scale it's just Mm -hmm. a row of smile you know from like super smiley face to kind of neutral to like super unhappy right i mean if you can ask them how confident they are about using tools and you do that before and after that's more important than in that context than some verbal thing that they could say about how the tool works. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like you, you need to, it's not always about changing how they feel about the subject matter of the tool. It's how they feel about themselves.
1: Yeah. As, as agents almost. Right. right? Do they
0: feel competent? Right. Did we set up a situation where they could feel
1: like this is something I'm good at? There's something special that happens there too, because, uh, and this is something I talk on occasionally is, um, so it's really fascinating to bring that up. It when um, there's a difference between somebody who can use a phone and somebody who knows like what goes into a phone. You don't even know how to make a phone necessarily. But the difference is when, when, when you change that mindset from consumer to, to agent, you begin to understand that everything around you is mutable and that you can control the world around you, which gives you this sense of um, ownership over these things. And it also it's like a catalyst, right? And then you know that you can change those things yourself and remix them and not just build on top of these, these opaque impossible to understand systems. So it's right. really, mm-hmm. it's really interesting that there's a thread. It seems to be a thread between a lot of the things you do there where you're trying to uncover the magical nature of, of things.
0: Right, And you know, what you haven't heard me say is, that mm. well, we need to get them excited, you know, for one right. thing, I mean, you could just have adrenaline burnout if you just sure. spending all your time getting kids excited about stuff. But my my concern about some of the toys out there and some of the workshops is like to get pe- uh, people have this idea that the only way to make it exciting enough to hold a child's attention, which is really what you want. You don't mm. want excitement, you want to hold their attention. You want them to leave feeling like they have an idea what they would do next, yeah. that they could that they're good at it, right? Um, we escalate immediately to increasing the complexity of the technology oh it's not going to be fun unless it's a robot or it's just mm-hmm. a simple led no let's make it we got to make it more exciting by embedding it you know the first work summer camp i did it was a you know way too much going on with a mm-hmm. big microprocessor in the middle of this backpack and yeah. you know all these leds that were going to blink in a certain way and they would have been better off if they just made 10 LED, simple LED circuits one at a time and got better and better at it, yeah. then because they're just blindly following instructions by the end. Right. And that doesn't leave you feeling like I know what I would do next with this.
1: That's interesting. So that uh, a lot of the kits that you see out there are just these overly complex things um, with a set of instructions. And if you follow the instructions, you get the fun thing at the end. And that makes parents happy because you get to walk away with a thing. Um, you know, and, and it it doesn't, I've never found that to encourage, um, the kind of learning that at least I want my kids to, to walk away with, um, when they're engaging with these toys. Right.
0: Well, that's one of the tricks then is, um, you know, if you tour a Lego convention, for example, I mean, the difference between a more modest construction of some kind that a child came up with entirely by him or herself that you will see there compared to that same child probably used that skill set to make something three times bigger and more complicated if they mm-hmm. were gonna follow Lego instructions. So you can't always evaluate what got learned by looking at the complexity of this thing they made. You have mm-hmm. to also look at how many variables did they have control over here? Yeah. What choices, what creative choices did they get to make yeah. versus what was just
1: you know, laid out for them? So, we talked about this thread of, of kind of like understanding things mm-hmm. um, and how it seems to run through a lot of the things you're doing. Well, I hope that's fair. Mm-hmm. It, it also seems like another thread, and this might be a good way to segue into some of the projects that we're looking at over here, is, is modular things. I feel like you were talking about like the pegs and the textiles, and these are kind of modular things that you, you can grow out into these larger, you know, and that fits into the scale thing as well into these larger creations. Right. Is that is that a fair modular thing to say? is yeah. a huge a
0: huge part of everything that I've been yeah. playing with right It's I don't know if it's that um, that you can right you can start small and when you add another one and another one you are increasing the complexity but you're comp- but you own what happened at each right. stage as opposed to uh, you know in a way a lot of times with some of these robot projects, um, some of them I'll see kids had to build, they built that thing from scratch or, you know, they started with a simpler one, they moved on to a more complex one. Right. And in, in other cases, you you just plugged it all together. Right. Okay. But that. But then maybe the real, cent, the, the locus of creativity there might have been around coding. And so then it's the coding that is like there's modules and you're, right. you're mastering more and more complexity. And to be perfectly honest... That's quite reasonable. I, I don't think you necessarily want to have a whole lot of complexity and variables around both assembly and yeah. coding in, in the same time frame, because troubleshooting, it's so hard to
1: figure out where to look. And in game design, we call that elaborating on the core mechanic, which is to say you introduce um, a mechanic, like in Mario, running might be a mechanic, and jumping might be another mechanic. And then you learn how to run and jump more precisely onto platforms and you learn how to do it at different speeds. But you don't introduce a whole bunch of additional mechanics onto those things. You you elaborate on it. And so like a modular system, you know, you you're elaborating on, on construction, on on building, and on, you're you're continuing to, to um, explore that verb without introducing new verbs, right? So if build is your verb, you're not doing build and code and mm-hmm. wire and all of these other things, you know? So right. that's...
0: That's interesting. I, th- I wish that... Um, I feel like when I hear about gamifying education, <clears throat> if people don't have a very deep understanding of what game mechanics and game design is, I can't imagine that the term gamifying education is going to lead them anywhere productive. <laughs> no. right? Because they're going to think it's something totally different, you know. Yeah. But th- just the idea of a game mechanic to me, circuits are a game mechanic. Mm-hmm. I mean, science storms was, it's the study of unbalanced forces. What happens, you know, what creates a tornado? What creates an avalanche? Well, you have, you know, like with an avalanche, you've got this gravity and then you've got, you know, cold air, hot air, you know, get yeah. these layers of ice and snow and something's weak and then whoop, you know, everything's gonna break loose and then things are in balance again.
1: Right, it's, that's funny. So that's, the, that's um, most of the game designers that I know uh, despise game of, the idea of gamification and do think about the game, the, the game mechanics more like what you're talking about, right? So gamification is like behind this, it's part of this theory of nudge where you can change people if you just give them a badge or offer them incentives and i feel like what you're talking about more is not not deliberately changing people by giving them incentives but about allowing them to become and find explore their own intuition and and do that in a way where you're not necessarily offering them incentives in any particular direction but allowing them to kind of directionless directionlessly explore things i don't know if that's
0: well i think the problem is mm. like the the word game is just not precise enough right i mean if you can yeah. have a prices right and call that a game and then you're over here with these complex game mechanics, and that's a game. Then, you know, you're not. You, I, I also, if you just stuck with game mechanic and talked <laughs> about how that could sure. be used in education. So, one of my concerns with, say, with a lot of um, uh, circuit kits, for example, which is kind of more where I'm, you know, focusing my efforts these days, is. Um, you can have all of these loose parts and there can be nine ways to get it wrong and one way to get it right or maybe there's two or three ways to get it right but 17 ways to get it wrong and so tinkering isn't very rewarding. You, you hmm. almost have to follow the instructions in that kit because in some cases, literally, you could blow out an LED or a component if you didn't follow the instructions mm-hmm. um, and so... The, whereas, you know, when you're talking about just building with Lego blocks, there's the the concept of an affordance, right? Design affordance mm-hmm. that I look at it and there are things about it that give me some ideas about what to try next. Right. And so, and that's what we did in that um you know, in, in, in that skyline exhibit, right? We yeah. grommeted the fabric. Put the bolt and the nut through here. We right. didn't just randomly put fabric to drape, you know, everything and you know, you you have to design stuff so that people are still have more than one choice about what to do here, but right. most of those choices are going to lead to even if it wasn't what they tried to do, it'll at least be an
1: interesting result. Right yeah, less failure. That's something that Papert talked about too, right? That one of the advantages of using computers is that it is a, a low stakes way to learn something, right? You're not going to um, lop off you're not going to cut a finger off or uh, <laughs> you know be in any physical danger if you make mistakes. So it's a really good platform for making mistakes. And Legos are also, and that's what we're looking at here, right? So right. Are, are these nice modular systems that um, encourage this kind of way of understanding, that are that are pretty low stakes. So what's what is what what are we what is this? Okay,
0: so um, what we're looking at here is a ten by a ten inch base plate, right? So it's a standard one that you would see with the the green base plate, thirty two studs in each direction. And I've got two examples here. In one of them, I've got the um, it's basically a power grid for Lego, and it's made out of a special sturdy material that looks a lot like. I just put a gazillion holes in an overhead transparency.
1: Mm-hmm. And
0: then you've got lines of tape, which are my product here, um, which is a, a three millimeter wide strip of conductive tape. And so as those go up and down they're they're basically asking, it's not, I wouldn't even say they're acting like wires, they're acting like tracks on a circuit board, right? Cause they're, they're exposed. You can touch down on them mm-hmm. anywhere. Just the way you would lay out a circuit board. If you want to put a whole lot of LEDs on it, mm-hmm. you'd run your tracks, and then you would insert the LEDs at the right spots, yeah. right? And so, one thing I'm finding is that, you know, if if we're not going to make a circuit activity more exciting by adding a microprocessor and um, a bunch of motors and sensors, and you know, immediately escalating into this complicated thing that is no longer really something that kids got mastery over, mm-hmm. then what are we going to do instead mm-hmm. to make it exciting? Yeah. And so what we're going to do is we're going to take another area where they do have a lot of skills and they have the dexterity, they have the knowledge, they, mm. they have their own ideas. And so in this case, we've built a mosaic that is sort of frozen-inspired, winter-inspired. <laughs> a lot of the parts you're seeing here are... Um, so you have all kinds of LEDs that have been first laid out on a grid. And then, um, you know, I, I built it in such a way that I put, I put uh, a string of um, uh, AA batteries down yeah. the bottom. Oh, look at that. And so really it looks, it's the bottom of it, the bottom row of four studs, it's kind of like a flashlight. You've got the same kind of spring you'd have at the back of a flashlight, right. you have a row of, of batteries, only instead of, you know, having a light at the other end, you're touching conductive tape at both right. ends, right? And then the conductive tape is leading up um, right. You know, creating these tracks where I could just plink, 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 just put the LEDs down anywhere. So again, you don't need a whole lot of circuit knowledge. All you need to do is track.
1: Hit the crit down. Um,
0: you know, I just need the LED to span a gap between the the tracks from the positive end and the tracks and the negative. And then we piled on all kinds of glorious um, Lego. Um, what I tell the kids, well, these are LED lens diffusers. They're like mm-hmm. what? that's a clear Lego crystal from the so-and-so. No, no, right. that's, a, that's an LED lens diffuser. Right. I'll do the same thing. Gummy bears, you can light up gummy bears the same right. way. I'll be like, and everyone get out your LED lens diffuser. <laughs> <laughs> light diffuser. So we have, you know, a little popsicle. There are a lot of Lego parts actually that glow if you expose them to a UV light. So yeah. I, you know, I was saying I started out at Workshop 88 with uh, sewing, you know, two ends of an LED Incorrectly, and went on this trajectory from that to learning Eagle CAD, designing um, LED boards on a basically a, a, the, the thinnest level, uh circuit board material you could you could get um, mm-hmm. which is thin enough to snap under a Lego yeah, and so um, if you think about G leds for paper she was actually coming out with that about when i was originally playing around with this okay so since then i you know i I learned some circuit board software designed it found a manufacturer um and and succeeded in patenting it boy and in parallel with that i had to keep researching the tape until i could find a tape that uh, well, I've done toy testing on it. So the things I've learned, my goodness. So I had to put it through toy testing and to make sure it didn't have any toxic chemicals. This one mm-hmm. you can also use it for wearables because it doesn't. It's not nickel coated. Took me forever to find one. Sure. And then from there, I found I managed to find one that can carry two amps of power across two millimeters without catching fire. <laughs> and so, um, but how did that? You know, how that I feel like is the power of the maker movement, that I could walk in. I mean, it's not that I had no knowledge. I had all this experience in designing museum exhibits, mm-hmm. um, but really my knowledge of how to lay out a circuit, how to design a circuit board, absolutely starting from scratch. have still have not taken a single class in electronics. Friend taught. Every single bit <laughs> is help from some friend, Workshop 88, Pumping Station 1, just... One favor at a time.
1: So we're gonna have to. I'm gonna take some pictures of these before you go and put them in the show notes so that everybody can see them too. Because these are pretty. These are pretty cool. Do you? Um, so you've got these kids coming over and they're helping you with Halloween exhibits and stuff like that. Do you do mm-hmm. any? Uh, we call it play testing. Do you do any testing with, uh, with? Oh, absolutely, the absolutely. Yeah.
0: Well, um, just, uh, just last week, I I just posted a a note on a Facebook Elmhurst Moms mm-hmm. uh, group and said I was looking to test dexterity mm. <laughs> for of kids four to eight on a particular, because I'm, I'm actually working on an exhibit right now for the Kalamazoo Institute of Arts. And it will, it will involve hanging, um, like sort of attaching different overlapping, chunky bits of acrylic and possibly Lego plates to create a collage to uh, m- sort of, inspired by the work of an artist called Moholy Nagy. Mm. So that actually doesn't have LEDs, but all of these issues around the dexterity and you know, these parents, for no compensation, I mean, I gave the kids a little few foam pieces. Three different families, got in the car, came down to the Elmhurst Public Library where I had a meeting room, and I had prototypes of what I was trying to do and you know, bing bing bing, you know, they would test different ones and I'd videotape it it's mostly about observation again, it's not about what they tell you. You could see they were struggling more to attach the thing here than there, and then they'd switch in their mind which one was easier like you have to you have to observe
1: Do you, uh, um so you're talk- so you have these these kids coming with their parents. Do you ever get questions from them before they play test about and this is just because I've heard these things too. um will this electrocute me? Do I need to worry about that? Do you get questions like that
0: um yeah, at a um I, I was at the Chicago Maker Fair and I did this whole installation again, this this gigantic, you know, walk-in sit on any of three armchairs and <laughs> you had to wrap yourself in conductive ribbons specifically around your butt because you mm-hmm. were going to sit down on the chair and you were going to close a circuit.
1: Yeah.
0: right? And then that would light up an LED to uh-huh. tell Mama Bear, who was out picking berries in the woods that Goldilocks was in the house. Sure. or copper locks or carbon locks. I tried to not just have it be about you know right. blonde kids. And yeah, it's just going to, you know, you might owe me a new butt. <laughs> you know, all this right, stuff, right, like, it's going to hurt, you know. Yeah. So we get that. But last, last Halloween, one thing that made me so happy is that um, Caleb, one of the kids in the na- neighborhood, came over with a partially assembled Snap Circuits kit. Mm-hmm. And then he wanted to add that to the house.
1: Ah, okay. Yeah.
0: And one thing I thought was funny is there were just extra things in there. Like there was an extra battery pack that wasn't attached. You know, but it it was functioning, but it was clear he had started to improvise on the original circuit. And he wasn't sure which parts he had to keep, but he knew he wanted a buzzer.
1: Yeah. You know? He's playing playing with these things that other people think are. The reason I asked the the electricity question is well, first of all, the body has like one mega ohm of resistance. Like it's, you know, with the kind of battery-powered things that you're using, perfectly safe. But the illuminating thing about that is that this fundamental thing that we all use is magic um, to adults even, you know. And, and yet you have, you know, a, a kid who, um, you know, is playing with his snap circuits who's not afraid of it, and probably it's less magic to him than it is to, to a lot of other people out there. Um, so I find, I find you know, these, these Lego kits really interesting because it's exposing... <clears throat> you know, this fundamental thing, you know, a, a grid for, for electricity, power grid, yeah, a power grid. and mm-hmm. it's exposing that in a way that's not frightening. Do you find that, that, that knowledge expands out for the, the, the I want to call them students, uh, with, with the people who are playing with, with these?
0: Well, I'll tell you one thing is, um, you know, I started with wearables because I was thinking, oh, my gosh, conductive thread, you know, what a miracle. You know, here's a way to get more girls interested in electronics, right? Oh, <laughs> conductive thread is really hard to work with. Yeah. <laughs> so then, um, you know, but I, I would show up at one maker fair after another. You know, I had a backpack with, you know, it looked like two frogs were throwing a ball to each other. We had an accelerometer and, and these lights uh, you know, that would come bing, bing, bing. And it was when I showed up with stuff where I'd added lights to Lego, all, what I had heard before was, oh, so interesting. Let me know how that goes, you know? And then mm-hmm. when I had the Lego, literally sometimes people were grabbing my arm. Was like, <laughs> don't leave the room yeah. until I have your contact information. <laughs> right. So I was like, whoa, now I know, I okay. think Guy I Kawasaki, <laughs> I'm trying to remember who it is. Um, no, there's a Stanford professor, Steve Blank. He talks about mm. like the eye widening test. And I was like, oh my gosh, yeah. we're there. Yeah. Um, So, but what I have found is that the Lego makes it less intimidating. I hear it. I I see it. Yeah. That for the parents as well, like, it's like... Almost like they just assume if it's connected to Lego, it must be safe, which is not a safe assumption to make, but you know, <laughs>
1: right? But
0: it, or they assume that they're going to be able to figure it out. And yeah. I just told you how much that matters to me, right? I want them to go into this thinking, oh, I could figure that out. And you know what? If someone sees the exact same circuit layout on a breadboard with wires hanging out everywhere, a lot of people, it's like they shut down. Either it's a fear or there's a shame thing, or there's mm-hmm. some kind of overwhelm saying, I am not going to be able to figure out what this thing does. Right. And so by taking, I, I in fact, when my next project is going to be a Lego breadboard. You know, mm. I mean, you just literally lay everything out sure. on Lego, and it's a breadboard. And you've just now you've taken this thing that pe- some people, it, it, I feel it's a, it's a hurdle for some people. That's it. Yeah. That they're not going to proceed with electronics if the only path, the only bridge over to the other side is through. This breadboard with all those wires. So I'm going to give them other, other
1: routes over to the through the unknown
0: to to, to the, through toward mastery of, of making yeah making stuff.
1: Have have um have, people when they played with your kids, particularly kids. I'm interested in really have they done anything unexpected, anything that you didn't even um, anticipate. Uh, was possible with with these kits? or has that has that um,
0: Yeah, okay. well, <clears> for <throat> one thing, and I, I kind of felt like an idiot the first time i <throat> I saw this, I was so you know I, I had, you know, I'd made this this conductive tape um, with all the holes in it to fit over the Lego bricks, mm-hmm. right? And then the idea was that we were gonna lay everything out on one plane and then we might go up another plane, kind of like a circuit board, right? You have mm-hmm. all that circuit and then you go up one. And first thing they do is they grab, you know, because the, they're lined up in this very special way. Those holes, right? Doesn't bother them at all. They would just plug it in on one and then they would just kind of <laughs> twist it out however. And if they wanted it six layers up,
1: yeah.
0: they didn't try to like, I'm trying to hide it. That's the thing. I'm thinking like an AFOL, an f- adult fan of Lego, where you need right. to hide all the electrical path. And okay. so we're going to have to count carefully up a certain number of studs. And then we're going to bend the tape over because right. they're like, no. Just they just just like wire, you know, just we, right. you know, plug it in.
1: Yeah. I wonder if in, in some ways that's a good thing because they're they're drawing the connection between, you know, the conductive material and how it carries, you know, the power to where they need it to go. Um,
0: you know, I, I I realized at a certain point that it's actually huge because I have played right. with some other kits that have come out now where you have conductive bricks and when you are just trying to get the electricity back to home, I mean you're just trying to get that path completed right you have to do a huge amount of planning to get the bricks to line up so they're going to actually physically plug into each other and give you your path and yeah. and this gives you a huge shortcut and so yeah. if you're just trying to make sure you're on the right track having that wire it's so funny because I think a lot uh, a lot of people not just women not just girls a lot of little kids they find wires very intimidating so i was doing everything yeah. i could to get rid of wires and then yeah. i'm like how ironic this thing they
1: turned it in right? they just
0: they need to and, and wires turn out to be very necessary and <laughs> i can't get rid of them and i shouldn't
1: but they felt so comfortable with it to begin with that i think you know maybe they could they felt that they could explore from that point What well, the other thing i think is cool about these i keep pointing at them and nobody can see it this is a podcast <laughs> <laughs> the The other thing I, th- I think I find really interesting about these is that this idea scales w- way outside of Legos, um, but in a in a way that's that is very easy to draw parallels to. So you could begin talking about uh, the electrical grid or how we've turned the world into a circuit board, basically, and use this as yeah. A, a you micropotum. could do a school
0: thing where you'd lay out a city like on a, you know, on a big table, you know, eight foot table, for example. Right. Or you could teach circuit board design, because unlike a breadboard, uh, the Lego pieces, of course, you could create multiple layers, right? right. And so, but really, part of, part of my biggest breakthrough was not just, oh, conductive tape, it's flat, it fits the Lego. <laughs> it, was, it was the idea of a substrate with every single hole cut out of it so that it fits on the Lego and it can carry the conductive tracks. Because now, basically, we have a paper-thin circuit board Right. and I could send that to you, Right. Um, you know, you someone else could make it for you, right? Because um, sometimes your activity, maybe you're trying to learn to code. Well, how cool! I could control all of these lights on this thing. Well, we discussed. You may not want to be coding and laying out your own circuit in the same workshop. Right. And so it's sort of like the advance from handing people a bundle of wires and handing them a circuit board. Mm-hmm. Well, that's kind of a big diff- That that's a big leap, right? Right. And so yeah. I, that was. That was, anyway, part of the, the breakthrough. And I'll tell you where it came from is I would run these workshops and I would have the kids lay out the tape and there was so much weight. Does it have to touch? Does it have to overlap the other one? We got to scrape it to make a good connection here. Mm-hmm. They could do it, but by the time they were done, their little brains were full. And mm-hmm. then we still had to add the LEDs. Right. And then we were going to embed it inside a matchbox or we were going to you know make an electronic patch for our shirt or whatever. Right. There's a whole design task that is satisfying and maybe that's a better place for them to start.
1: And so the idea behind these, and as I look at the substrate here, is that there will be different kinds of them as well? Or, oh yeah, look Yeah,
0: exactly, right. I mean, so you could have a whole, you could basically have a series of circuit boards that would step you through learning about circuits. So you could start with one that's nothing but two lines, and you're gonna get the idea that, you know, you have to have both sides of your battery connected yeah. And then I'll tell the kids it's not going to the LED, it's going through the LED. So both sides yeah. of the LED also need to be sitting on either side of a gap. Because one thing I'll see is they'll try to put the LED right on a line, and that's like my short circuit, right? We just gave it a faster, an easier path.
1: Right. I love this. It's modular, it's scalable, and it also takes a form of knowledge that can apply to, to so many other things. And it simplifies it into something that's that's familiar. Um, well, thank I, you. I think this is so cool.
0: You know what I'm hoping is is even just component by component, like if you, if you're thinking about a, a, a RGB LED, mm-hmm. a through hole one, it's got typically four legs. One of them is going to connect to ground and then you're going to have for red, green and blue. So, you know, if you could start taking something like that and you actually laid it out and you actually showed. Th- there's three LEDs in there. There's not some magical chemical thing where it turns different colors. No, there's three LEDs. Right. And so you're going to turn one or the other on or whatever, turn them all on. Um, and then from that, you can see, well, why only one leg to connect them to ground? You know, you can start mm-hmm. to see, well, it's really kind of like we got three circuits all in this mm. one right. LED. <laughs> um, you know, and so... I I just think the idea of like, and then, oh, now we have a programmable RGB LED. It also has four legs, but guess what? One's power, one's data. Right. Um, At what power ground, one's going to send the signal from the circuit board. And then one typically is going to send that signal on to your next LED. So there's something about taking them one schematic at a time. It's like a live schematic. It's like you took a schematic out of a book and you made it conductive. Right, so that it lights up when you're talking about it. kind of like a Harry Potter, you know like the the moving people in the in the portraits, right like, oh. like you look at the picture mm-hmm. and the person's actually moving it's like yeah. you, know, you take all those dry uh,
1: electronics textbooks and you right. do them with conductive ink or conductive tape, and you put the LED on it, yeah, and you scaffold it in a way where you're building on to the knowledge without intri- in, uh, by elaborating rather than by.
0: right sort of when you think about that game mechanic thing if you were like look we're just going to get the electricity from the positive side of this battery to the negative side well you could span that gap with one LED yeah probably an LED and a resistor but I just put them together or you could you could swap in this other thing that's this RGB LED that's got three LEDs yeah you know what I mean and that you know that and and switches so that you can control like okay which of those ones are going to yeah so that idea of of the game mechanic that we're we're still just getting the electricity from the beginning to the end, and we're still spanning a gap. Yeah, we just added the idea of a switch, and you know what I right. mean.
1: Right, it's super playful. So where can we where can we find um, find out more about this work? I, I don't know if this is all um,
0: you know. Out there I'm. Yet. I've been sort of in stealth mode until until I got my hands on a tape that was not going to catch fire if you shorted out the terminals of a nine volt battery. I Mm. just I didn't I didn't wasn't sure how I wanted to make it available other than inside a kit with somebody else's battery that has short circuit protection. There are a couple good ones out there now. Circuit Cubes does stuff specifically. It's for Lego. Um, E blocks has the battery. Even Lego has a battery. Um, <clears throat> so conducte.com, con- like yeah. the word conduct with a Y on the end, C-O-N-D-U-C-T-Y, kind of like an adjective. It's conducte. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's basically, it's everything conductive. Because yeah. I just feel like, you know, there are other people who are kind of more, maybe going more in, in this direction of, of adding more complexity, uh, you know, more sensors, whatever. I think what's interesting, especially for kids, is to just take simpler circuits and add them to more... Things we're going to light up our snacks with our gummy bears. We're going to light yeah. up our toys. We're going to light up our Halloween costumes. We're going to, you know, like like just just divergent thinking, you know. So we're yeah. just we're just and and how do you do that? Well, with these advances in these conductive materials. Yeah. There's conductive Velcro. There's conductive thread. There's conductive fabric tape. There's turns out there's conductive tape you can solder to, which will not tarnish, <laughs> which is like one of those trade offs. The copper tape tarnishes. You know, the the aluminum you can't solder to. So I've just made it my mission to research and track down all of these different types of materials that I think make inventing safer for kids and, and give you that
1: step-by-step path toward mastery. I think that's an excellent place to end. Rachel. Thank you. Thank you so much. You bet. So where can we find, so we can find (laughs) you at conductee.com.
0: Conductee.com and, um, uh, Technista is my handle, T-E-K-N-I-S-T-A.
1: Okay, that's at, Twitter? At, at, on Twitter and okay. other social media. Other Technista. places. Mm-hmm. Awesome. All right, we'll put. right, uh, I'm going to put some pictures of these in the show notes as well as all those links. Thanks again for talking Absolutely. with me Absolutely, it was such a pleasure. This has been This Should Work podcast session number five, a conversation with Rachel Hellinga, president of Conductee. Museum exhibit creator, member of Workshop 88, and member of Pumping Station 1. Maker all around, really. Thanks for Rachel for joining us, and please stay tuned next time for a, let's say we'll keep this next guest a secret, but I'm really excited about having them. And uh, stay tuned, because that's going to be a really interesting conversation, so Check us out, shouldworkmedia.com or subscribe on any of your major podcasting, listening things. And I look forward to seeing you all next time. Bye-bye.